So the most critical thing any man can do is change the narrative to show him, no, mate, I don't think anything like you. so much for pressing play on today's podcast episode. I thank you because this is a truly important one. It's an episode that I believe you will feel changed after listening to and also feel empowered and just better equipped for so many different situations that might pop up in your life, especially those situations where you find yourself in a setting and someone is being inappropriate abuse is happening, aggression is happening, uh, something homophobic or racist is happening right in front of you and you don't know what to do. And so many of us have been in that exact situation where it's like, oh, this is making me so uncomfortable. It's rubbing up against my values. And at the same time, I know I need to protect my own safety. I also don't know the best way to approach these situations. I don't want to make anyone else feel uncomfortable. There are so many things that stop us from actually taking positive action. And I just think that's such a shame. And so we get into that during today's podcast episode. And as I mentioned, we're talking about how you can be uh, proactive, helpful, positive, but also keep yourself safe bystander when difficult things are happening in life. And so there was no one better to invite onto the podcast to chat about this than Sean Ross Smith, because Sean is the director of MATE, the bystander program. And in the first five to 10 minutes of our conversation, you're going to hear so much more about MATE and what it is they do. So definitely listen to that first five to 10 minutes. But after that, we really get into it. And there's so much in this conversation that's going to help you in those difficult situations. But there's a lot in this conversation that's going to help you in your day-to-day life, especially if you have children. After my conversation with Sean, I just kept going over and over and over different parts of the conversation and it made things so clear for me. And I think it's one of those topics that there are just so many different, you know, tangents that we could go off on and we explore a lot. We talk about how hard it is to call someone out. We talk about how it's really, really critical that other men are actually getting involved and stepping up and stepping into their feminism. I know that this is going to be one of those podcast episodes that at the end of the day, when you do reconnect with your partner, you're going to say, oh my gosh, I listened to this podcast today and and have all of this stuff to share with them. And I urge you, Share this podcast episode with everyone in your phone contacts list. This is not just an episode for women to listen to. This is an episode that you want your partner, your father, your brother, your co-workers to listen to. As parents, especially, so much of the uh, stuff that we cover in this conversation 
is going to impact the way that you can parent as well in terms of raising really aware and thoughtful and critically thinking children. So I will not waffle on for too long because this episode is all about the conversation. It's all about Sean. It's all about mate. I'm sure she would hate me saying it's all about Sean, but the way that Sean shares so openly and so helpfully in this episode was really, really refreshing. I hope that you enjoy this episode. As I said, share it around, make sure you're following the podcast, check out the resources that are included in the show notes, especially the Mate website. Let me know what you think of this episode, share it to your socials, all of the stuff, it all helps. Just quickly, a word from today's sponsors. Unless, of course, you're one of our Venti members, in that case, there are no ads and your episode is about to keep playing. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sean, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to have this chat with me. Thank you so much for having me. I have been a fan of the work that Mate has been doing for months now. I get on the website and I have a little look and I see what you're up to. But I think for our listeners, a really helpful place to start would be in sharing exactly what it is that Mate does and why Mate came about in the first place. Absolutely. And I love talking about how Mate came about um, because I suppose I, I, I fell into the work. Um, I was working in the prison system, so I've worked for about 15 years in the prison system in Queensland. And I became um, maybe disenfranchised is the right word, Kylie, just about the sheer volume of people rolling through the system and we I think as a society we knew or we know how to respond after the fact but my heart was so heavy with the fact that responding afterwards means the devastations happened it actually means that lives have been ruined and things will never be the same and to me I just couldn't sleep at night with with you know those thoughts So when I was presented with an opportunity to go and work at Griffith University and run this program, which was, which is really centered around the prevention of violence, I jumped at it because um, I know it's not popular to prevent something, you know, no one's going to say, oh, Kylie, you know, you just save the day by phoning your friend and having a chat. Um, I know it's not politically popular. I know it doesn't, it's, you can't measure it really. But to me, I feel like prevention is the key. Um, You know, the more that we can have conversations earlier on, the more that we can really change the devastation at the back end or prevent it. So that's kind of how I fell into it. Um, The program itself is actually about 25 years old and it was written in America originally by a man named Jackson Katz who really didn't like the way that women were being portrayed in the media, um, a lot of victim blaming and things like that. So 
Jackson wrote this program and took it to the American military and the American sporting colleges and said, we, we need to have this conversation. Um, he's got an amazing TED talk if anyone ever wants to look him up. And so he started the program and one of his colleagues brought it to Australia and um, it was run as MVP here for a few years before um, it had a full name change and a full overhaul with Jackson's endorsement. And now it's owned by Griffith and um, and it's really evolved. So, yeah, and I get to run it every day. Like it feels surreal that I get to bring the hope to these conversations every day. And MATE stands for Motivating Action Through Empowerment. That's part of the rebrand? That's exactly part of the rebrand. Um, firstly, Shannon, who um, was instrumental in bringing the program here is an African-American woman who said, you don't even realize in Australia, but you just say mate all the time. Like when you're talking to everyone, you just say mate, hey mate, g'day mate, how's it going mate? Um, And so she said it just naturally should be called mate because it's about having a conversation with your mates. Uh, So that's kind of how the name happened. And then we reverse engineered the acronym afterwards. So (laughs) it's kind of how that worked. I love it. And it makes so much sense. In particular, one of the things that I wanted to focus on during our conversation today, Sean, was how men, how men especially can start to change the conversation they're having with other men when it comes to the landscape and the topic of domestic violence. Because I imagine for a lot of men, when it comes to DV, they actually feel really uncomfortable or really afraid that they might escalate things if they intervene. They might feel like they don't have the language or even just the comprehension to really understand it fully. And I'm so fascinated by that. I'm fascinated by how we as parents can raise males that have the skill set. And I know that we're going to get into that a little bit later on, but even just how grown men respond to all sorts of situations. You know, I think about grown men sitting down at the pub and one of them might be popping off saying really negative things about their partner. And I think a lot of males in that case would just bite their tongue. Oh, you know, you've just asked the $100 million question, Kylie, because um, men are cool. Men are so cool. And um, most men are feminists, you know, majority, 99% of men are feminists. They just, the word feels jarring to them because it, it's it been misrepresented for so long um, and attached to some kind of man-hating myth. Um, and so, but majority of men are that. Um, so the work that we do at MATE is about um, meeting people where they're at and bringing them on a critical conversation around all the drivers of violence against women. So because majority of men are like, what can I do? Just give me some tools and skills and let me do it. Uh, And our program wants to meet them there and say, okay, here's what you can do. And I think the issue that we've had to date is that a lot of people think that they have to intervene in the moment. When they see a man abusing a woman, they have to run in and do something. And actually fear is a really important physiological reaction that our body gives us that says, hang on a second, just before you do that, you might run into some trouble, you know. And so I want 
firstly, men to get comfortable exploring fear and talking about it and saying, actually, you know, that's really jarring for me. I can't do that. Um, And so that's first and foremost. But also I want to empower men to recognise that preventing violence against women starts all the way back here when your friend tells a sexist joke that's where you can intervene and say, hey, bro, we don't talk about women like that. When, you know, people are applying really rigid gender stereotypes like man up, be a man, be tough, be strong, I want to empower men to say, well, actually, I think, you know, strong is showing your vulnerability or whatever, however they verbalise it. So I want men to recognise the importance of, I call it, all the things that sit beneath the iceberg, you know, domestic violence, sexual violence, all the things um, that happen to women in society don't happen in a bubble. They're not just some, you know, creeps walking the streets thinking I'm going to go now and abuse a woman or they're not that. We unfortunately have all been raised and continue to be raised in a society that um, perpetuates it. So I want to empower men to see society for what it is, the song lyrics, the movies they watch, the the, the everything they consume and how it impacts men's thinking about women um, and then it can help them be part of the change, changing and shifting those conversations at the bottom of the iceberg. Um, and men are so cool with doing that, Kylie. They're like, bring it. I can do that bit, you know? I love that you've spoken about that connection between a sex a sexist joke that they might hear and also then what goes on further down the spectrum in terms of domestic violence and that makes so much sense to me but I actually think for a lot of men and you know women as well listening there can be such a disconnect between those two I've met so many men that will laugh at the sexist joke that will use phrases like man up or men don't cry or whatever it is, but they really distance themselves from the other end of the spectrum, not realizing that it's all intertwined. And I have to say, even for me personally, it's been the most fascinating 12 months for me as I uncover and learn more about this topic myself. You know, I recently had Laura Richards on the podcast who she operates as the crime analyst and she's just wonderful. And there was a line during our conversation where she said something to me about how, you know, coercive control is just the patriarchy dialed up. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, that was such a insightful moment for me. You know how sometimes someone says something and you're like, oh, I finally see it. And then once you see it, you can't unsee it. And I think it's really (laughs) important that we have to communicate and have these conversations and help people to see that through line. Like just because you don't hit a woman doesn't mean that laughing at a sexist joke or looking at a nude photo of someone that's unsolicited is okay. Like they are actually all along the same spectrum and you can't disconnect. You know, does it make sense what I'm saying? Oh, 100%. And I always start every um, training session I go into, I start by saying I contributed. I was the teller of Of jokes. I was the person that did all of those things. And now exactly your line, Kylie, now that I know better, I do better. And and, and of course, telling a sexist joke doesn't mean that you're going to go and, and hurt a, physically hurt a woman. Absolutely. But 
for the men who do do that, they've stopped at every bit beneath the iceberg before they got there. And they have been supported by men going, yeah, because all women are that. And yeah, women, you know, should be in the kitchen. And yeah, women should understand their place. And so I always say to people, the, the the example I use is when you work in the prisons, say you have a man in a prison cell and he's been convicted of rape and Blurred Lines is playing on the radio outside and he's watching, I don't know, Top Gun on his TV inside his cell and the officers outside are telling a sexist joke and they're saying, I can't believe that guy was a big pussy. He is getting messages from everywhere in society that every man thinks exactly like he does. He just got caught for it or he just, you know, took the fall or he just took a bigger risk, but that every man around thinks and feels the same as him. So the most critical thing any man can do is change the narrative to show him, no, mate, I don't think anything like you. And it starts with us with men not telling those jokes, not using that language, not reinforcing, not victim blaming. It starts with men shifting the narrative to saying, I respect women, women are my equal, we're in this together, I don't agree with you. And that's what being an effective bystander is all about. That's what mate is all about. We want to be, uh, we say we want to be curious and not furious. So first I want to know why a man, like every room I go into, Kylie, a man will say, but not all men, but not all men are this. And it, and I've heard it now for, you know, seven years running on a daily basis. But, but why, but, but if I'm curious and not furious, why do men feel the need to say that? Because in reality, maybe I haven't been listening. Enough. Maybe I am not um, meeting them where they're at like I need to. And so part of that is me really sitting with men, lots of men, thousands of men, to better understand why they try and distance themselves so much, why they want to say not all men. And they distance themselves because they want to be, they are feminists and they want to be sitting alongside us going, no, 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 I'm the solution. So we need to empower those men with the tools and skills to do that. And we also need to give them license to do it, Kylie, because they're going to stuff it up just like I stuff up healthy eating or whatever else I try to do every day. We have this culture, this cancel culture of it's similar for me in the racism space. I really, I talk a lot about the fact that I'm racist. I was raised racist. I was schooled in, educated in a racist system and that being anti-racist as an action means I'm going to get it wrong. I'm going to go into spaces and say the completely wrong thing. And if people cancel me the first time I do it, I can't, I won't come back out and do that work. And it's such critical work. So I really want society to get behind men that are giving it a good go, that are trying really hard to get it right. Because I don't want anyone to think that, hey, if you come into this space and you want to have these conversations, you have to be perfect. Because none of us are. I just want men to start. Just start, yeah. you know? I love that you've mentioned a few times 
that most men are feminists. And I think that's actually a really great point to highlight because so often I've had conversations with males in my life and I'll talk about feminism and I'll say, well, you're a feminist. And they'll say, no, I'm not. You know, feminism's gone too far. And again, all of those stereotypes about the angry woman who hates men. But then when you frame it really simply and you say, do you believe in equal rights for both genders, for all genders, they invariably say yes. And then you say, great, you're a feminist. So I think it is really important to just even go, what is the core of a feminist? And to reframe it as a positive. Absolutely. People say to me all the time, you should just change the name of it. You should. And so again, it's about exploring, well, why, what, why do we have feminism? What is it about? Where did it come from? Um, Cause you're exactly right, Kylie. Like so many people will say to me and even women, we, we as women feel deeply uncomfortable with calling ourselves feminists too. Um, you know, not, perhaps not in the space that I work in, but in a lot of spaces, women will say, well, I'm, I'm not that. Why do we distance ourselves from it when we're, we're asking for equality? Um, and that's mostly because of the patriarchy, don't you think? We've been, it's been drummed into us to be part of the, the majority. Well, I was just about to say, I think for so many people that have experienced that sensation of going, oh no, I'm not a feminist. It's because we want to be liked. We want to be chosen. We want to be the cool girl. And again, that's just all in service of the male gaze and the patriarchy and all of those things. I also think it's really important that you mentioned not all men, because I had this conversation recently with a male in my life and I said, no, not all men, but unfortunately there's no flashing sign above the bad ones, you know? So sometimes we do have to go into a situation understanding the power imbalance and that we are moving through the same world, but it is so different, so, so different for them versus, you know, for males versus women and whatnot. But yeah, it's like, no, not all men, you know, and no, you shouldn't be punished for all of the men that are doing the wrong thing. But as a woman, I don't know which one's the bad one. So I have to be wary. <laughs> that's it. That's so right. And also, yeah, absolutely not all men, but but similarly, not all men um, are helping us with the solution, right? So cool. If you are not that man, then what kind of man are you? you? You know, so really putting that back on men to say, okay, not all men, what kind of man are you? What does that mean? Because for me, um, we need more action in this country. Like we have a national crisis when it comes to violence against women. We've ha- we, we have had an ugly couple of months in this country and we've had way too many. We sh- sh- domestic violence is 100% preventable. It's 100% preventable. And yet, and I always say to people, I, I did a post recently on LinkedIn where I said, if this, if if women were dying um, on mine sites just every other day because of some workplace health and safety, imagine. I mean, can you imagine? Like our TV screens would be taken over by it, and all the minds would be shut down, and we'd be looking and be on the national agenda. And I feel like again this. The fact that it's invisible still largely to mainstream media and it's, you know, story four for one minute shows me that we still have so far to go when it comes to gender equality. The fact that it's not even number one in the news cycle 
And often, Mm -hmm. if it is number one or even if it's number four, it's often framed through the lens of, you know, if she was a sex worker or, um, you know, the father had custody when that wasn't the case and all of these sorts of things. Like so often it's put through this lens to make it almost more palatable or almost more excusable and to really dehumanise the woman at the centre of it. That's, I mean... You're you're a hundred percent correct. We still, it's because, well, actually, I don't know why it is that we still struggle to get it on mainstream media. But I think it's because, again, um, I, I mentioned the patriarchy, but it is this uncomfortable truth that these are the people that live next door to you, down the street from you, and yet we've become such individualists in society. We no longer look out for our neighbours in the way that I believe we probably used to, and that certainly our First Nations people do. They do look out for each other. They, you know, that real community um, feel that we've lost along the way contributes to it. So I think at a really deep cellular level, people kind of want to ignore it because they realise that they've probably displayed quite a bit of apathy when it comes to domestic violence, you know, and that's a really hard pill to swallow, but it's a necessary pill. Like, you know, how many of our neighbours do we know? Are we checking in on them? Are we looking out for them? What would we do if we're concerned about them? How do we show up for them? You know, because those are the things that we, we're we not really doing very well as a society, I don't think. I also think there's a level of othering. You know, it's putting distance between us and victims. And much like men who say not all men, it's putting distance between themselves as we started the conversation laughing at a sexist joke against Joe Blow who's just been charged with domestic violence. When it comes to men stepping in and stepping up, what are some actual things that they can do, some tangible steps they can take? Say, for example, they are in a situation where their friend is talking really poorly about their own partner. You know, I think a lot of men can relate to this, whether it's on the work site or over a drink, they'll hear their mate really ragging on their partner or perhaps sharing that they control their partner. They might talk about how they don't let that bitch touch the finances or whatever it is. What can a man do in that instance? Beautiful question. So at Mate, we use a framework, a really simple framework of four different techniques that people can use. The first thing, say someone is talking about their partner like that at the barbecue, um, which is exactly how Jared Baden-Clay talked about Alison. It's exactly how Rowan Baxter talked about Hannah Clark. This is this is exactly the things that men do see. This those comments, those things said about their partner. She's mentally unwell, she's a psycho, she's a bitch, she can't manage anything, she can hardly manage the children. I have to do everything. All of those comments. So I say to people, if you can directly intervene, fantastic. If you can say, hang on a second there, Brian, I don't like the way that you're talking about your partner. I think she's fabulous. Great. If you can do that in the moment, fantastic. And that's called a direct intervention. If that's not something you're comfortable doing, you can also indirectly approach that. 
So it might be that you go up to Brian afterwards and you say, hey, Brian, I heard the way that you were talking about Sean earlier. Is everything okay for you? So I there's the Are You Okay campaign, which I think is fabulous. Are You Okay is a beautiful question to ask because it's non-confrontational. But it send, what I always say to people is your role as a bystander is to send two really clear messages, a message of help and support to the person that's receiving the comments, the whatever is happening, the receiving the harm, and a message of accountability to the person who's perpetrating it. And so by asking that person, is I, I hear you, I see you, and I'm concerned about you, is everything okay, is a beautiful bystander technique. Because what I know about perpetrators of violence, and I've worked with perpetrators on a men's behaviour change program for about 20 years, is that when they start to speak like that, their mates will either agree with them to shut it down or they'll distance themselves from them. So they won't invite him to the barbecue next weekend or they'll, you know, they'll start to distance themselves because, oh, I don't really like how he's talking. So I say, I always say to people, that's when you move in. That's when you move in close. That's when, that's what friendship means. It actually means you move in close when you're hearing this stuff because this guy's in some trouble. Um, so are you okay? I'm really concerned about you. I'm really concerned about the way that I heard you talk about Sean. Is everything okay for Sean? Similarly, reaching out to Sean and say, hey, you know, I had a barbecue with Brian on the weekend. Um, you know, I'm just wondering how you're going. Is, how's everything for you? Um, and that can be well after the fact outside of that barbecue space so that, you know, it's, it's, it's not outing the person in, in front of everybody. I always say working in the prisons that if you come in directly to someone and you're holding them accountable, there are direct consequences to that. So if you're going to directly intervene, you have to be comfortable with what might come back at you. And usually what might come back at you is you wouldn't know anything. I've heard the way you've talked about your partner. A lot of things that are delivered to shut you down deliberately very quickly. And and so you kind of get schooled. And I, so I say to men, if you're going to hold your mate accountable, you don't have to come at it from a perfect place. You don't have to come at it from ha- never saying the things yourself before. You just have to say, look, I now know where this stuff leads and I want to nip it in the bud. Are you okay, mate? I'm here for you. I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to annoy you and send you a message every day to check on you because I know better now. The other thing you can do is, um, is, is called distraction, a distraction technique. So for some people, those two interventions feel really like I don't have the words, I'm panicking, I don't know what to do. I always say to people, just create a distraction in the moment. So Kylie, it might be that you show up to the barbecue and you open with a sexist joke every time. And I preempt it. And this time when you come in, I say, hi, Kylie, just before you get started, anyone want a coffee? I'm just going to get the order. Yes, I'm not holding you accountable in that moment, but I'm still shutting down whatever. So I call it like a circuit breaker, shutting down whatever you were going to do. And eventually, if you've got any emotional intelligence, you might start to understand that Sean's deliberately doing that every time I come in. Maybe she's not comfortable with the jokes. But you could also use a circuit breaker and then come back in later and use an indirect technique. And the last one is called protocol. And protocol is about using the systems, the processes, the things around you 
as your aid. So if you are seeing something on a train and you're concerned about a man yelling at a woman, you might you might be able to say, you know, phone the police. You might be able to say, hey, I'm pretty sure you can't do that on the train. You might get kicked off. If you're in a workplace and you hear it, you might say to people, that's against the code of conduct. I'd hate for you to get fired for telling those jokes. Or, you know, have you read the policy around that stuff? Because, you know, similarly, giving the protocol to the person that's receiving the harm. Did you realise we've got some really good supports on offer in this workplace? So relying on the systems and processes to work for you, um, to you know, it might be a case of, Kylie, you know, when people say you can't smoke here. They don't have to say I hate smoking and you can't smoke around me, but they get to say, no, 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 there's a sign that says you can't smoke. So it's a bit of the same thing, using, you know, using what you've got. And basically all we do in MATE is help people understand that framework and then apply it to a whole host of different scenarios. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I love that there's a real variety of different paths that someone can take because, for example, Sean, my partner is six foot two and covered in tattoos. So he's really mindful that if he pipes up to a stranger, they might, just because of the way he looks, escalate it quicker than they would if it was someone who appeared physically less threatening. So I really like that there is that selection because in that instance, he would be better to utilize the protocol side of things and kind of come in like a buddy, you know, like, hey, I don't want you to get kicked off this work site. So did you know X, Y, Z? So it is going, okay, here are some tools I can put in my toolkit. What's going to actually work for me, my comfort level and all of that sort of stuff. I think it's really helpful to have a few different options. That's exactly right, Kylie. And, And funny that you mentioned your partner because a lot of men say, there's such a societal expectation that I'm going to directly intervene. And yet I've done that before and I know where it leads. So I will often say to men, use that as your last resort, direct intervention. Use those other things because you're also trying to role model um, in a a passive, de-escalated way. And, you know, checking in on your mate and saying, are you okay? Or saying, hey, mate, you can't use that language here. You check the code of conduct. Just... It, it shifts the narrative as well. It's non-confrontational, which is what I'm all about, you know. And I also love that we can apply this to our parenting in terms of what we teach our kids because, as I said to you before we hit record, I've got twin boys. They're nearly 10 years old. They are well-versed in topics. Like they far surpass me in a lot of things. Um, but, you know, they're very sensitive towards homophobic remarks especially. And I'm trying to work with them so that they know that if someone makes a homophobic remark, because it does happen in the schoolyard, to know what it is they can do. Because right now they're getting caught in the, that's a bad person. And so I'm having conversations with them and saying, 
it could just be a person, a child that doesn't actually know what they're saying. They might not understand the meaning behind what they're saying. Much like if a man is making a sexist joke, he might not understand that sliding spectrum of mirroring back to other people. You know, he might not be the one that's going to go and perpetrate domestic violence, but the mate sitting across from him, that's feedback for him. He's going, yeah, that's right. It's funny to be sexist. And that might escalate his behavior. So in terms of having these conversations with kids as well, I really am excited to talk to my boys about introducing the protocol elements because then they can say to their peers, hey, Johnny, if a teacher hears you saying that, you're probably going to get in trouble. You know, it just gives them another tool. Just gives them another tool. And I like, firstly, thank you for raising little feminists because the world absolutely needs more of that. And, um, and you're exactly right. It's really hard. May I say I've got, um, three children as well, two teenage boys and, um, and, a, and a younger daughter. And it's so hard because you and I were socially conditioned to not lead, right? We were told to sit down, shut up, know your place, don't speak unless you're spoken to, be quiet and don't dibber-dob, right? So, and then when we get to the workforce, everyone says, Sean, be a leader. And I'm like, well, I don't know how because I was just told to be a follower my whole life. So you and I are raising little leaders that, um, and, and that is incredibly invaluable and important because that is why we're in the position we're in is because we're all waiting for someone else to lead, right? We're all waiting for the world to change, but who's going to change it? We have to. So raising leaders, children that are aware of their personal leadership and the impact that they have on their peers is the number one ingredient to changing the world, I think. And I also feel like um, they're between a rock and a hard place though because they're going to school where they're surrounded by still that same kind of follow-up stuff. It's still happening. Teachers are still saying, sit down, be quiet. And I like to think that they can use protocol but they can also be curious and not furious so tell me why you, you know, tell me why you're telling that joke. Tell me why you think that. I'm really interested in that because that's not my view. You know, I my sons have always felt like they needed to um, directly intervene and challenge it. And the more that we've had conversations to say, these are peers that you've got to show up to school with every day. So how do you just remain curious to where they're at? Because like you said, Kylie, they're probably not having the conversations at home. Um, and they're certainly not having them at school. So how are they meant to think different? H- how do they do that? And they do it through your two beautiful twin twins who are going to shift it and ask curious questions of them. That's leadership. And when the shoe is on the other foot and they do get it wrong, you know, because we all get it wrong, that's the magic of curious, not furious, right? Rather than them being cancelled, as we spoke about at the start of our conversation, it's just being willing to go a little bit deeper and go, okay, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Who does that impact? What can I learn from this situation? And not, you know, demonizing the whole personality. 
100%. You know, we're at the end of the day, we're human. And we have also been socially conditioned so much. And we are constantly, especially our our children who are on more social media than ever before. Um, and you know what? I'm the first parent to say I love social media. I love the internet. I love my children interacting with it because it's giving them so many different perspectives. The problem is um, with the influences that come in to their feeds is that they are, they've, got a, they've got their own agenda and we as parents have to help them navigate that agenda constantly. And so your boys going to school have constantly got to ride that wave. They're going to get it wrong because the influences are so convincing and, and all-encompassing. Um, and so we often we talk about in Mate as well, how do I receive um, criticism? How do I receive feedback? Do I... Because the first thing we want to do, Kylie, we want to say, that was not my intent. So I talk about intent versus impact. Your intent may not have been to offend someone, but the impact that you had was that you did. And so instead of rescuing yourself constantly by saying, I never meant to do that, that wasn't, I, I didn't intend to, it's about saying, I am, I've heard the impact that I've had on you and I'm going to go away and reflect on that, you know, and, and really critically self well, self-critiquing ourselves constantly and evolving our thinking. I still get it wrong every day, every day, you know, because when you show up in, in this space too, Kylie, same for you, you're out there. Like we hit record when no one knows what we're going to talk about. So you're not going to get it right all the time and there's going to be people that are going to give you feedback and say, hey, you know, you got that bit wrong today. Um, and I feel like we have to also sit in that and be okay with that sometimes too. Critically self-reflect on, you know, that wasn't my intent, but I impacted someone really negatively today and that's shit house. You know, yes. I don't want to be that person. So, you know? We do get it wrong and we do change and evolve. And that's certainly been an interesting thing that I've experienced when I reflect on just, you know, content that I've shared in the past or thoughts that I've held in the past that are now quite in some cases, radically different to the thoughts that I have now, I do feel a bit embarrassed. But at the same time, I kind of use that as a measure of growth and go, well, if I can change my views, you know, I spoke about this on social media, just in an Instagram post, I was saying, I used to really drink the Kool-Aid on the masculine feminine stuff. You know, I really thought that Part of the reason I went through a divorce was because I didn't create enough space for my partner to be masculine and I took on the responsibility. And the more I learn and understand, the more I'm like, no, no, that's just another way that women are made to be responsible for men's behavior. And so I guess that's why I was excited about this conversation, because I do want to bring other men to the table. It is not the responsibility of women only. It is the responsibility of men equally to actually speak yep. up and to stop being that mirror, stop mirroring back inappropriate jokes, lewd comments, stop treating women like they are less than them. And I guess, I mean, I could go on a rant about this for hours, but I guess we can start to really do some work on that in the way that we parent as well and the language we use with our kids such oh I just I love that comment you just made Kylie about stop mirroring mirror mirroring 
the behavior. Um, Because that's the easy way out, isn't it? That's the really easy way out. I mean, like you said earlier, you said um, we all want to be liked. So we drink the Kool-Aid because it's easier. Like imagine, you know, imagine what people say about inviting you and I to a dinner party. Like they're probably worried about who we're going to sit next to, what we're going to say, what you know, and I get it. Um, but the flip side to not being controversial in what I speak about is that we maintain the status quo. And I cannot sit by knowing that over one woman a week is murdered at the hands of her partner or former partner and I knew what the solution was and I didn't share it with the world. Like to me that would be devastating to me to know that I'm sitting on this information, you know. And so, yes, I might be uncomfortable. Yes, I might. It might be challenging to be my children and the expectations I have of them to lead and all of those things. But I also say to people all the time, I feel so empowered with this knowledge that I have that I didn't have 20 years ago. You know, I contributed to the problem all over the place because I didn't know what I didn't know. And now that I know better, it is my duty to to share it because it's free. It's free, it's accessible, and it means that domestic violence is preventable, you know. And one thing I did want to say, Kylie, um, when we were talking about the bystander framework, a lot of people won't intervene because they worry about making it worse. It's I know there'll be people listening going, I just didn't want to make it worse. And I say to people, Things are already worse. Things are already worse. So, yes, that day when you intervene, he could go home and say to his partner, now you're going to cop it because Sean said something about it. But if it wasn't me intervening, it would be because she didn't heat his sausage roll up the way he liked it. She didn't leave his boots with his socks at the front door the way he likes them left. There would be some other excuse for his violence. I am never responsible for the actions of another human being, but I am responsible for holding them accountable. That's my gig. And so victims and survivors will constantly, and I speak to thousands of them to inform the program, they will constantly say to me, Sean, the hardest thing was thinking that I was in this alone because people would see and know what was going on, but they would for whatever reason, not get involved. And it just meant that I thought that I would have to manage this all by myself. Um, And so I stayed or I put up or all of those things. So I always say to people, please, that is, it's a false narrative driven by a perpetrator to keep the status quo, right? They're going to push back on you. They're going to tell you that you've got it all wrong, Kylie. You shouldn't intervene because you don't even know what you're talking about. And, you know, and also the victim will probably also push back. Don't worry about it, Kylie. Don't get involved. I've got this. You don't need to. And that is because they're in survival mode. They feel like if, you know, don't worry, I don't want anyone else to have to be in this with me. And the perpetrator obviously wants you to back off. You have to hold steadfast in the knowledge that you are breaking the cycle by shifting the narrative, by getting involved, by being that human. So important. As you were speaking then and you were saying, you know, it's already worse. Yes, it's already worse. And also, if we don't step up and say something and use one of the techniques that you shared with us today, 
not only are we mirroring to the perpetrator that it's okay, we're actually mirroring to the victim that it's okay as well. We're enforcing right. enforcing that power imbalance. We are. And we're saying we just don't care enough. And that's not the message that we want to send. We don't, we don't intend to send that message, but it's the message they receive nonetheless when we do nothing. So, you know, I always say to people, look, I that was – that was the biggest barrier for me and now um, it just doesn't, I just can't, I can't stand by and allow women to be murdered every single week in this country when it's preventable. Like that's where we're at. That's yeah. the importance of this conversation today. We're at, this is a national crisis. There should be 8 million people plugging into your podcast because that's the importance of this conversation. These women work in your workplace, so do the men, you know, the victims of this stuff, they work, they, they go to your coffee shop, they go to the community centre, they go to the coals that you go to. You know, we have to get this out there. And they are often revered or in positions of power, not only in their relationship but in the community. It's police officers, it's first responders, it's school principals, it's people that actually are not... You know, they don't have that flashing sign like we spoke about earlier over their head saying bad guy or perpetrator. And that can make it even harder to step up and call them out. So hard. And so many people will say, oh, he's just, you know, he's a really nice guy. Of course he is. Of course he he, he can be, um, how do I put it? Like, so the thing is, is that he can present however he wants because he's in control of the narrative. He's also in control of how she is perceived, right? So when he tells all of his mates she's mentally unwell, you know, she's a psycho, she's crazy, she's all of those things, then when she comes to the barbecue and she's anxious about what's going to happen later that night, she does present as withdrawn. She does present as, you know, a, a shadow of her former self. She does present in a way that um, reinforces what he's saying. He presents as the life of the party. He presents as the good guy because he's controlling the narrative and he want he that's his best way of maintaining the control, right? So he has to make people think that he is all those. Plus, perpetrators are also more than one thing, Kylie. He, right? They're more. He's more than one thing. So that's the other part to it as well. I always say to people, don't ever make assumptions about um, whether a man is capable of violence, domestic violence, sexual violence. Don't ever make that assumption because um, working with them for 20 years, they come in all shapes and sizes, you know, all shapes and sizes and all different layers and levels of complexity. Um, But I do want to say that because people say, well, what about these? Like, do they want to do that? No, but it's inherent upon men to have control. And so, and because it's reinforced by everything in society, um, movies and song lyrics and whatever, these men feel that if they lose control in their relationship, if they lose control over their partner, then their manhood comes into question. So that's the importance of talking to the things beneath the iceberg, not reinforcing rigid gender stereotypes because those, that rigid gender stereotypes are the leading cause of men's violence against women, men's violence against each other and male suicide. 
the importance of getting rid of those completely. So in the MATE program, we talk about uh, when someone says man up, what are they asking you to do? And we also talk about Kylie, not many people tell me to woman up, but I've received 100,000 times, just be a lady. And what does that mean? That actually means be quiet, know your place, be demure, be polite, be pretty, um, uh, be a good cook, be maternal, right? And so the more that we reinforce these stereotypes, where have we placed, where have we placed importance? When we recruit someone, what are we recruiting for? When we promote someone, where are we, we're always doing it in this man box here, right? Because this box here is just like an auxiliary, like helpful to the man. So the importance of getting away from these rigid gender stereotypes is critical. And I always say to people, draw a circle and write in that circle what makes you, you, what makes Kylie, Kylie, what makes Shan, Shan. I'm strong. I'm maternal. I'm um, polite. I'm assertive. But those are things that are not based on the fact that I'm a woman. They're based on the fact that I'm Shan, right? And if we all just got ex accepted into the room and into the world with our little circles, the world would be a way better place, right? But billion-dollar industries rely on you and I feeding into those boxes and we're forced back into them on a daily basis, like we, we're conditioned back into them daily. So I want people to know what happens when marketers come in and try and sell you a product and what actually happens to us. Um, so that we can just be empowered with that knowledge and shift it and change it slowly, you know? Well, quickly if we could, but slowly in our everyday world. I'm glad that you brought up the back in the box analogy. Brendan and I spoke about this in an episode after we listened, after, sorry, after we saw the Barbie movie, because I was saying to him, there's that part in the Barbie movie where they're just trying to get her back in her box. And I was like, that was so symbolic of what it's like to exist in the world because we are told all the time, just get back into your box, darling. And as you said, be a lady, hop back into your box. So I think that's something that everyone listening will be able to relate to. You've given yeah. us so much food for thought. I'd love to end our conversation though, particularly for our listeners who have young children at home. Are there a few things that come to mind when it comes to breaking down those gender stereotypes, even if it's just as food for thought as they move through, you know, whatever stage of parenting they're in? What are some things that you would like them to have at the front of their mind? Okay, a couple of really key things. Um, uh, and this is opening a whole nother can of worms. But okay, I'll talk about the stereotypes. But first, I'll start with consent. I used consent with my daughter from the day that she was born. I didn't use it with my sons because I didn't I didn't know about it. I didn't know how to do it. But with my daughter from the day she was born, I asked her, changing a nappy, can I change your nappy? Can I change your nappy? Is it okay if I do this? Just giving her that language so that and, and sometimes she would say no, Kylie, and that'd be okay. She'd wander around with with a big full nappy. But it was about giving her that um, autonomy over those decisions and giving it, her body is hers, right? Um, so that's separate to this, but one thing I think we don't do well as parents. And secondly, when it comes to the stereotypes, one of the coolest things we did early on is um, my husband, Matt, we got his credit card made pink. 
So he's got a pink credit card. I've got a black credit card and just whipping it out. And my daughter saying, oh, you know, dad, you got a pink one. Why have you got pink? That's for girls. Because she's been conditioned by the whole world around her, despite our best efforts, right? So, and Matt just saying, absolutely, pink's my favorite color. And away we go. It's those little things daily that contribute. One of the reasons I developed a following, I'm sure, was because I used to say all the time, colors are for everyone. When the boys were toddlers, one of them literally spent a year of his life dressed as Elsa. And that was just a a very much a non-event in our household. He had the full wig and everything. He had the dolls, all of the things. And the boys, like they know colors are for everyone. And it's something that at the time that my following was kind of growing and growing and because so many people were following along that had toddlers, it was this real thing that people still now get in touch with me and say, oh, I remember when you said colors are for everyone and they still use it. And that's like something that I'd like to hang my hat on. I'm like, yes, that's like such a good little saying. I love that. I love, I've never heard like colors are for everyone. Like that, that, that's the line. That's all we need to do. And, you know, it's about, um, uh, things like your toy box, having everything in it, just having a bit of everything and then letting your kids pick what they pick to play with. Um, it's about just it's about shifting the narrative gently, you know, so however that happens. Um, exactly what you said, colours are for everyone, you wear what you want to wear, um, giving autonomy and decision-making to kids where they can. So if you want to go dress like that to the shops in your gumboots and your skirt and your hair and your whatever then that's what we do um but also I would say as well is that recognize the social conditioning your children are actually um getting from the world around them and have open conversations with them on the way home from kindy or the way home from school about just that stuff so you're normalizing talking about um breaking down those rigid gender stereotypes in a really kind of informal way because the kids otherwise just don't know, you know, like, yeah, socialising them to the fact that women can be whatever they want and boys can be whatever they want and girls and anyone can be whoever they want to be um, is incredibly important. And you're so right because you can so do right. all of this incredible work this incredible. at home. You can talk about how colors for everyone. You can lead by example, but then they go out into the world and they're exposed to different ideas and concepts. I can remember one of my boys coming home at around the age of three years old and prior to a certain day at kindergarten, at preschool, kindy, whatever we called it, um, he would always play as Penny out of Fireman Sam. That was just, he was Penny and his brother was Sam and that's fine. He literally called himself Penny for a long time as well. And when they were playing in their little kitchen that we had set up for them, he would often play as the mum. I'm the mummy of this teddy bear. I'm the mummy of this baby. I'm the mummy. And that was great. I never said anything. But one day at daycare, the teacher said to him, you mean daddy. You mean you're the daddy. And even just that alone really pissed me off. And I remember having conversations with people about it and they couldn't understand. And I'm saying, it's not a gender identity thing. It's just like, what, like if he sees being a mummy as being valuable enough to play that role out, just let him play it out. Like you don't have to course correct that at such a young age we don't, or ever. Exactly. 
Well, this is why, though, that we actually need um, this education. Like people often say, oh, we need this in schools with students. I'm like, no, we need it with educators. We need it in kindergartens. We need it with educators and we need it with parents and teachers. You know, like, yes, because I feel like students get it. Like, you know, your kids get it. They were learning it in the home. But when teachers then reinforce it, um, it can bring up all this good work unstuck. So we really do need some serious um, education in our in our schools with our parents uh, with our parents and teachers. Hmm. You and I could talk for hours. I have no doubt. Oh, there are so oh, many topics we could go to. I've got all of these notes that as we were talking, I was like, oh, and this and this and this. But I am mindful that we are nearing towards the end of an hour together, and I have school pickup, so I will have to wrap up our conversation yeah. today. But I know that our listeners are going to be hungry for more. Where can they go to find out more about the MATE program? Sure. Well, a good place for them to start about um, two years ago, we released a free app. It's called Be There and it's for um, bystanders of domestic violence. They can download it. um, It's lockable and they can get all the information they need about how to be an effective bystander for someone who may be experiencing domestic violence. Um, And if they want to access the MATE program, uh, we would love to have them. We're building our MATE community of change makers. They can go to, um, if they just type in the MATE bystander program into Google, it will come up. But I would love for them to join us on social media um, because, like, that's where we interact day to day. A website kind of sits there for a little while, but the social media is always active. Um, and just, yeah, lean into doing the the, the, fr- the bystander framework and give us some feedback about how it went would be really cool. Yeah, and share this conversation. For anyone who is listening along right. and you're finding it fascinating or you're nodding along, pop it up on your Instagram story, tag us, tag the mate social media account, spread the word because it's just food for thought, right? Like I think that if people can exit this conversation and go, huh, I'm actually feeling differently about sexist remarks or I do feel uncomfortable about how I've been complicit in it. That's so positive. Absolutely. That's just changing one thing a day, you know, shifting that narrative one thing a day is all I'm asking of everyone. We've got this. We've got this, Kylie. We can do this. We can. I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing and your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kylie. Today's podcast episode was recorded on the land of the Bunjalung Nation. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.